All right. I want to begin by reading Exodus chapter 6 and verse 28. I'm going to read a few verses into chapter 7, and then we're going to stop and make a few comments and then continue on with the message as God leads us today, okay? Exodus chapter 6 and verse 28. The Bible says, And it came to pass on the day when the Lord spake unto Moses in the land of Egypt, that the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I am the Lord. Speak thou unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say unto thee. And Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips, and how shall Pharaoh hearken unto me? And the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a god to Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. Thou shalt speak all that I command thee, and, and Aaron thy brother shall speak unto Pharaoh, that he send the children of Israel out of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you that I may lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth mine armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch forth mine hand upon Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. And Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded them, so did they. Look at verse 7. And Moses was fourscore years old, and Aaron fourscore and three years old, when they spake unto Pharaoh. They were a spry, eighty and 83 years old when they begin this work of delivering Israel from Egypt. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you because we can do nothing without you. Because you are the one who speaks to hearts. And we want you to talk to us today. We want to hear from you. We want to know your presence, that you're with us, that you're guiding us and helping us, even that you're convicting us. I pray that you would work in our hearts. I pray that you would use your powerful word to touch us. And I pray, God, that you would just help us to obey you in all that you say to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. I call this sermon series Redeemed. Moses was redeemed for a purpose. A lot of this series has been about you and I understanding that, that we have been redeemed. If Jesus is your Savior, you can say that you've been redeemed. If you've been redeemed and saved from your sin, then God has a purpose for your life. He has something that He wants to do through you. He has a work that He wants you to do for Him. And you'll find your place in that work in in the church, in the church of Jesus Christ. As you find your place in the body of Christ, God will accent your gifts and your, uh, the, 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 the things that He's given you, the, the abilities that He's given you. He'll accent those and He'll show you your place. He'll show you what you can do and how you can be a part of the great work that God's given His church to do. And that is the reaching of men and women, boys and girls, 
with the gospel message, the gospel of Christ. Moses has had to learn that he has to wait on God. He can't just run ahead of God. And he's also had to learn that he can't try to serve God in his own power and strength. No, he has to trust God. Well, God's done some special things for Moses along the way, like talk to him. How special is that? That God would talk to Moses. God found Moses out in the desert tending sheep. He did that for about 40 years. And while during those years, during that time, at some point, God spoke to Moses from the burning bush. God revealed himself to Moses. And God explained his purpose. Because the purpose is really God's. That's what we want to get in tune with. That's what we want to be connected to, is God's purpose for us. Moses is, we've seen him be reluctant. We've seen him be afraid. Who wouldn't be? And still today we see what we read just now. We see Moses struggling a little bit. Moses has taken off and he's gone back to Egypt from the land of Midian. And you might remember a couple weeks ago as we spoke and looked at this scripture that God stopped Moses on his way and just nearly killed him. Do you remember that? He put his holy hands around Moses' neck. And Moses was just about a goner. Why did God do that? Because Moses had disobeyed him. Because there was one thing in his life, one area that he had not yielded to God. He had refused to obey and have his son circumcised. It was probably, that, that disobedience probably stemmed from a disagreement with his Gentile wife. But it was done. His child was circumcised. Moses obeyed the Lord and God let go of his throat. I don't know that he really did that. The Bible doesn't tell us, but that's how I picture it anyhow. So Moses goes on in obedience. Wow, we learned there that it is so important to obey the Lord. God puts a premium on obedience. And if you and I think that we can serve God and do His purpose but hold back something in our heart or hold on to sin that we've not confessed and be blessed. I don't know if He'll choke you or not, but we can't, we can't assume that we'll be blessed. We can't assume <clears throat> that we'll be used by God for His purpose if we're holding back. So we've got to yield. We've got to obey. And I think we know, and God most certainly knows, where our hearts are in reality. Really, every day, you should read the Scriptures every day. I do. Good. Amen. You should read them every day, and every day when we read the Scriptures and we talk to God, let it be a heart check moment. Let it be a moment for God to examine our hearts. And obey Him. We've, uh, we've skipped over a couple chapters here in this story of Exodus. Previously, though, Moses and Aaron have come to Pharaoh. What we're reading here in chapter 7 isn't the first time that they came to Pharaoh and spoke to him. 
They've come to Pharaoh and they've said what God told them to say, let my people go. Okay? That's what the nurse, nursery workers feel like saying at the, at the end of a long sermon. Pastor, let my people go so that they can get their children. Right? Uh, bless you, nursery workers down there. Um, they've come and they've said that. But in Exodus chapter 5 and verse 2, we read, And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? And he's using the name Jehovah there, you'll notice. This is how God has revealed himself to Moses and the people now. Jehovah, the self-existent, the all-powerful, the promise-making and promise-keeping God of Israel. Who is the Lord, says Pharaoh, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord. I don't know this Jehovah. Neither will I let Israel go. So this, this king of Egypt says, I don't know the Lord. And Moses, I'm not letting them go. Beat it. So they go. Pharaoh then does something very nasty to the people. You remember the Israelites, or you'll, you'll, hear, you'll hear me and you'll read in the Scripture, then referred to also as Hebrews, the Hebrew people, at this moment are slaves in Egypt. They've been forced to work, forced labor, to build monuments and buildings and things in Egypt. Not only to build, but to even make the brick to build, that's their job. They have a certain allotment of bricks that they're to make each day or week. And Pharaoh makes them keep their allotted bricks. Their, their quota is the same. But he takes something away that they need. Previously, the government of Egypt had supplied straw that the people would need to use in the making of the bricks. But now Pharaoh said, I'm not giving you straw anymore. You can go find it on your own. And yes, the quota remains the same. How much harder did he make their work of making brick? He just multiplied their sorrow. How do you think the Israelites react to this? Can you put yourself in their shoes for a moment with your imagination think about what it would be to live that kind of life to have that kind of pressure and to know that some Egyptian's whip may come across your back if you don't get your work done like you've been commanded to well the Israelites don't react well to this a group of their leaders go to Pharaoh and they say what's the deal we've been working hard we've been doing our best and he says, well, this Moses has come and wants me to let you go and I'm not letting you go and now I've done this. The people of Israel don't respond well to this and here's the reality of it. They don't understand the severity of the bondage that they're in because all this generation of people have known is bondage. They've never seen anything else. 
This also means that it's impossible for them to understand the joy of freedom that awaits them. Does that scenario sound familiar to you in any way? Because I think this is the condition we find our world in today. People in our world without Jesus Christ are in bondage to sin and to Satan and even to themselves in a way, in their own misery to themselves. And when they're offered something different, something like freedom, the freedom that you and I know and enjoy in Jesus Christ, oftentimes people's first reactions are not positive or not not accepting of that message, the message of Christ. Have you ever talked to someone about Jesus and they put up the wall of defense? Why? Have you ever heard anyone say something like this? Well, I, I don't really, I'm not interested in being a Christian because look at all the rules and regulations. Right? Look at the way, how many of you thought that way at one time in your life before you came to Christ? I did. That was the one thing, it was really me, myself, I, all three of us, and, and my love for myself, my love for sin, and the, the things in the world that I thought I wanted and wanted to partake of, that kept me away from Jesus for a long time. I looked at, I looked at my parents, I looked at people that I knew, and I just thought, man, they don't do this and they can't do that, and I'm not interested. And I believed the lie of the devil, and I didn't understand that I was really wearing chains. I had chains around my hands and around my legs. I was a, bond, I was a, a slave to sin and a slave to Satan. And even though I was almost constantly hearing of the freedom in Jesus Christ that was available by putting your faith in Him, I still refused it. Just like the Israelites, they hear... They, they, what, hey, remember what they were doing just before Moses showed up. God, please save us from this. They're miserable. They're even calling out to God and saying, we're miserable. We need help. This is hard. And the deliverer just showed up. Moses. He's a picture of Jesus Christ for us in this story. The deliverer just showed up. And how do they react to what he's beginning to do? To what God's beginning to do? How do they react to God literally answering their prayer? Well, look at verse, um, in chapter 5, look at verse 20. And they, the leaders of Israel, coming from Pharaoh, they meet they met Moses and Aaron, who stood in the way as they came forth from Pharaoh, and they said unto them, The Lord look upon you and judge, because you have made our savor to be abhorred in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servants to put a sword in their hand to slay us. They, they, they virtually curse Moses and Aaron for doing what? Obeying God? Trying to deliver them? Look how badly they're reacting to this. You and I should never, ever expect someone who is lost in unbelief to behave like a believer, to respond like a believer should respond to something that God's doing in their life. 
Don't be surprised when they resist. They don't understand the bondage that they're in. And this event that we're reading about here in chapter 6 and 7 of Exodus is really the beginning of God helping both the nation of Israel and Egypt see the bondage that they're in. You know, we don't expect someone who's an unbeliever to get it, but can I just tell you this morning that we should expect people who are believers to get it? But you know, it's pretty easy, even a born, for a born-again believer like me and you, to sort of slide back into the old way of living, the old way of believing in some ways, the old tendency to trust ourselves and not rely on God, the old tendency to try to do it ourselves, or to just think we have it all figured out and just sort of coast. That, that tendency is still alive and well. In a way, you could say that the Israelites are, they're like a picture of the believer here, and, and they, they should seize the moment. They should say, okay, this is hard. Let's pray. Let's keep praying. God's doing something. God's working. God sent this Moses guy. He doesn't talk well, but his brother does. And they're, gonna, they're trying to help us. You know, but that's just not how it happens. But I, I think that's what should be expected. You and I should recognize what God's doing in our lives and respond in faith and obedience. God has a way of getting our attention. Do you remember what that was like before you came to faith in Christ and as the Lord was drawing you and bringing you to himself? Do you remember what that was like when he began to show you the reality of your situation? I'm convinced that, that so-called gospel preaching that leaves out the part about sin is really not gospel preaching at all. Jesus cannot be something that someone adds to their life. He must be their life. And for a person to see that they need Jesus to be their life means that they have to understand their sin and their standing before God. God has a way of getting our attention. God kind of brought me through, I, I guess you could say about, I, I don't know, 19 years. I was 19 when I got saved. In a way, God brought me through 19 years of, of disappointment and uh, 19 years of, of uh, guilt it took, 19, it took me 19 years to sort of figure out that this isn't what I thought it would be. The older I got, it seemed like the more rebellious I got, but then I, it sort of it came to a point where I realized this, this isn't anything. This sin and these things that I thought I wanted and that I thought I wanted to do, this life that I thought I wanted to live, it really doesn't bring happiness, peace, or joy. It really doesn't bring fulfillment. And I'm glad, though it was painful at the time in some ways, I'm glad that God brought me to the end of myself and brought me to Himself and saved me. God has a way of getting our attention. 
And I could tell you story after story, and some I've told you, about different things that God did to make me think and make me consider Him and bring me to Himself. And you could tell stories like that about what God did in your life. God has a way of getting our attention. Often it's not pretty what He does. Believer, God has a way of getting our attention. And He knows if, if He's lost our attention. And he'll, bring, he'll do something to bring it back. But often that's not pleasant either. What God is about to do in Egypt and in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel are, is like nothing that's ever been seen. It's severe what he's going to do to them to make them see. It's when Pastor Christ uh, got saved back in 1955. <laughs> wow, that's cool. All right, let's look now back at our text in chapter 6, verse 28. Notice where Moses is again in his heart and mind. He's made one attempt at this and it didn't work. And God says, go back to Pharaoh. And this is one of many, many times that Moses and Aaron are going to go stand before Pharaoh and say their line, which is, let my people go. Okay? In, in verse 28, God tells Moses, go. Moses responds in verse 29 and says, uh, in verse 30, Moses says, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips, and how shall Pharaoh hearken unto me? Here's a reality that you and I need to understand. And, and I take this phrase from 1 Corinthians 1.27. God uses the weak things to confound the mighty. To confound means to shake. Or to stagger. Pharaoh is mighty. He is the mighty. Do you know that the people of Egypt and maybe even some of the people in Israel think that Pharaoh is a god? That he is deity. Pharaoh is the mighty. And God's going to use something that is weak. Someone who is weak. To confound or stagger. Pharaoh. Moses still feels inadequate. Inadequate is this. I don't have what it takes. Have you ever said that concerning serving the Lord? Concerning following Jesus and living the Christian life? I don't have what it takes. Good for you. Because you don't. Moses is inadequate. Maybe he does have a speech impediment. But that's okay. God's going to use him to be the deliverer of his people. Moses is feeling not only inadequate, but he's feeling inferior. Have you ever found yourself saying, I'm not good enough? 
I don't have what it takes. I'm not good enough. You know what God says to Moses? He doesn't say, oh, Moses, you're just as good as Pharaoh. He doesn't say that. He, he doesn't say, Moses, you, you could beat him in arm wrestling. I don't know where this stuff comes from. That just popped in. That was silly. But he doesn't say, he doesn't say, he doesn't say anything really about Moses. But instead he says, See, I have made thee a god to Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. It's like he's saying, you're right, you really are nothing, but I can do something to him that will make him think you're something. And he's going to see that you stand with me. And though he doesn't understand it, and though Pharaoh refuses to believe, you're going to see a lot of phrases. Rusty mentioned it. We read it in the psalm, I think, this morning. You're going to see a lot of phrases that say, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Well, the fact is, Pharaoh hardened Pharaoh's heart already. In chapter 5 and verse 2, he voices that hardening and that disbelief, that unbelief. I don't know the Lord. He doesn't want to know Him. But to Pharaoh, in Pharaoh's eyes, God says, I'm going to make you, Moses, like a god to Pharaoh. He's going to think you're something. Look at verse 2 of chapter 7. God says, Thou shalt speak all that I command thee. Those are some of the most comforting words to Moses and to Aaron. Those are some of the most comforting words to a pastor. Speak what I command thee. You know, if I had to... There's a pressure that you can't understand unless, unless you're the guy that has to preach the message every week. There's a pressure. I feel like this sometimes, that Sunday's always coming. On Monday, sermon preparation begins for Sunday. Sunday's always coming. You're going to come. I know that you're going to come and expect a message. And not just a message from me. That would get old quick, let me tell you. It would be a whole lot less edifying. God's commanded His men to preach the Word. To preach the Bible. And I'll tell you, that's a comfort. Because I don't have to stand around and stare at the stars and say, God, what am I going to tell Him? Now I ask Him. But I know that it's going to come from right here. I can always, I always know that I have a script to go by. I'm glad I don't have to come up with something original every week. These are things that have been told and told and retold. The truth of God's Word. Just like God said to Moses and to Aaron, He said, speak what I command thee. That's what God says to the preacher. Speak what I command thee. Now God says to you, to every believer, that we're to be preachers of the gospel. That we're to be sharing, proclaiming the gospel message. We're to be telling people about our God, about our Savior. Well, what is it that we're to say? 
You don't have to come up with something new. You don't have to come up with something creative. You just have to tell people about Him. The script is written. Your job is like mine to share the Word of God with anyone and everyone who will listen. The script has been written. Just follow the script. Notice some things that God says. We looked at one of them already in in verse 1. He said, I have made thee a god to Pharaoh. In verse uh, 3, he says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. It's like God saying, Moses, just follow the script because I'm going to work in Pharaoh. I will deal with Pharaoh. He's my business. Sure, you don't add up. You're not a king. You're not him. But I've not called you to be that. In verse 3, he also says, God says, that he will multiply, I will multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. He says, I'll deal with Pharaoh's heart and I will multiply the miracles and thereby multiply the message throughout all the land. See, there's this guy, Moses, that's just showed up in the kingdom of Egypt who is saying, who is saying, there's one God, our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whom we call Jehovah, whom we call El Shaddai, the Almighty. This, this God of ours is real and true and powerful. Now Moses can say that, but only God can prove that. And that's what he's about to do. Just just the same goes for me and you. When we share the gospel message, we can say that Jesus is the Savior, and we should. And we should tell people, as the scripture tells us, we should tell people how he saved us. What he means to us. We should testify of him. Okay? Okay? And we can tell people, and we should tell people, that there's a Savior who lives and loves. But only God can prove that to them. Oh, now He'll use us, and He'll work through us. And I believe that if we open our hearts to Him, if we yield in obedience to Him, that He will work through us in ways that go even beyond preaching that gospel message. But He'll use us to do things. He'll use our good works. He'll do something. He'll... Encourage us to do something that shows people His love. But all the while, it's He who proves to them, just like He's proving and going to prove to Egypt. Moses should follow the script because God promises to accomplish what He will. I will multiply my signs and wonders. Verse 4, he says, But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you, that I may lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth mine armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. God says, I have a plan, and it has to do with getting my people out of that land. And he says, I will do it. This whole thing is God's business. Moses just gets to play a role. Verse 5, God says, 
and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch forth mine hand upon Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. He says, I will make myself known. It's God who makes himself known. Jesus taught us this when he talked with his disciples and he said, who do people say that I am? And they gave him the answer. Some people say you're this prophet and that. But then he looks at them, those twelve, and he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter pipes up and he says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Those guys were with Jesus. They saw Jesus. They knew Jesus. Night and day they were with Him. But Jesus says it's God who's made that clear in your heart. So what do old Moses and Aaron do? Look at verse 6. They did as the Lord commanded them. So did they. They simply obeyed. You say, hold it. Is it really that simple? This whole thing about doing God's purpose and fulfilling God's will? I, I, I guess so. It looks like it. They just obeyed. Hey, it's, it's wild and crazy. and It's about to get wild and crazy. But all the while, they're just to do the same thing. Obey God. Keep His commandments. Now let me, now try this on for size. Why does God tell us this in verse 7 about their age? Eighty and eighty-three. A couple of old timers, right? Eighty and eighty-three. And they're just beginning to do something for God. So what are you driving at? I'm driving at this. What's my excuse? And what's your excuse? You waiting to grow up? You waiting to get to be 80? Samuel, don't wait till you're 80 or 83. Okay? Serve the Lord. Do God's will. What are we waiting on? Christmas? No. Now is the time. My point is this. Age wasn't an excuse for them. Don't, I mean, hey, now, Moses is going to live to be 120 years old. And and I think that even if I knew that I was going to live to be 120, my grandpa's 96. He just had his 96th birthday last week. So my chances maybe are better than I thought, okay, to make it to to a ripe old age like that. I pity Kate if I lived that long, honestly. Bless her heart. Having to deal with me. Uh, even if I knew I was going to live to be 120, I think at when I got to 80, I'm, I'm still going to feel like, yeah, I'm moving into the retirement years. Right? It's time to take it easy a little bit. I'm 80. But not Moses and Aaron. And Aaron's 83. They said, no, that's, age isn't an issue. Let's roll. Let's follow God. Let's serve Him. Let's do it. The fact is, we don't know how long we have. Neither did they. 
but they're willing to follow God and obey Him. I love their obedience. I want you to look back at these verses, and I want you to just notice all the I will statements that God makes. And as you see them, let it boost your confidence and your faith in our God. Look back at these verses. In verse 29 of chapter 6, he says, uh, Speak unto Pharaoh all that I say unto thee. In verse 7, he says, See, I have made thee a God to Pharaoh. In verse 2, he says, Speak all that I command thee. In verse 3, now he says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. I will deal with Pharaoh. He says, I will multiply signs and wonders. In verse 4, he says that I may lead, may lay my hand upon Egypt. This is what I will do, Moses. Verse 5, he says, I stretch forth mine hand upon Egypt. And in verse 6, they did as God, as the Lord God commanded them. They just obeyed. And I think it really is that simple. This will kind of be a two-part message. I title it, God Staggers the Mighty. God Staggers the Mighty. This is the beginning of what God will do to bring Pharaoh to the breaking point. I'm not going to comment on them, but I want to read in closing the rest of this chapter, chapter 7. Follow along with me. Beginning in verse 8. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh shall speak unto you, saying, Show a miracle for you, then thou shalt say unto Aaron, Take thy rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and it shall become a serpent. And Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers. Now the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. In other words, they used the power of Satan to do the same thing. This is like one of the creepiest things that happens in the Bible. Now, verse 12, For they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents. But look at this. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. And he hardened Pharaoh's heart, that he hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had said. And the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened, he refuseth to let the people go. Get thee unto Pharaoh in the morning, lo, he goeth out unto the water, and thou shalt stand by the river's brink, against he come. And the rod which was turned to a serpent, thou shalt take in thine hand. And thou shalt say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath sent me unto thee, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. And behold, hitherto thou wouldst not hear. Thus saith the Lord, In this thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will smite with the rod that is in mine hand upon the waters which are in the river, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish 
that is in the river shall die, and the river shall stink, and the Egyptians shall loathe to drink of the water of the river. And the Lord spake unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Take thy rod, and stretch out thine hand upon the waters of Egypt, upon their streams, upon their rivers, and upon their ponds, and upon their pools of water, that they may become blood, and that there may be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so as the Lord commanded. And he lift up the rod and smote the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. And the fish that was in the river died. And the river stunk. And the Egyptians could not drink of the water of the river. And there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. And the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, neither did he hearken unto them, as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house, neither did he set his heart to do this. And all the Egyptians digged round about the river for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the river. And seven days were fulfilled after that the Lord had smitten the river. And again, this is just the beginning of what God is doing in this land of Egypt. But I want to encourage you and I to follow the example of Moses and Aaron and just do as he commanded and to trust him to do what he does and really what only he can do and that's touch the hearts of people because that's our work, because that's our God's work. That's our Savior's work. Jesus has come to seek and to save that which was lost And He wants to use you and I. He wants to work through us. Let's trust Him and ask Him to help us to do just that.